This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. This program is intended for mature audiences only. Welcome to Sex, Love, and Intimacy. I'm your host, Chip August, and today on the show, we're talking to Dossie Easton. Dossie is uh, the co-author with Janet Hardy of The Ethical Slut, A Practical Guide to Polyamory, Open Relationships, and Other Adventures. This is the second edition, which was just published in April of 2009. Dossie is a licensed psychotherapist working with individuals and couples in her private practice and has more than 35 years experience working with people struggling with poly issues. She taught her first workshop in Unlearning Jealousy in 1973. According to her own words, Dossie is an active sex radical since 1961, as well as an ethical slut herself. She currently makes her home in the mountains of north of San Francisco, uh, travels around to teach at conferences all over the world, and then spends her non-existent free time hiking the hills, declaiming filthy poetry to the vultures, and hosting outrageous pajama parties. Welcome to the show, Dossie Easton. When I was in high school, calling a girl a slut was not a good thing. So why do you think, why do you think being an ethical slut is a good thing? And, and what is an ethical slut anyway? Well, if a slut is a person who celebrates a lot of sexuality, right? Why should this be a bad thing? And why is it particularly applied to women? Um, I actually learned to use it as a positive word among gay men where it was like, oh, you went out and had a fabulous time this weekend. Oh, you slut. Um, And it was a compliment. And I picked that up, and that seemed to make a lot of sense to me. Um, And it makes particular sense to me when it comes to my feminist part saying, wait a minute, why is a woman who openly enjoys sex considered uh, somehow degraded or wrong? Okay, so I understand you're putting a positive spin on the word slut. You're reclaiming it. So what is a slut? Tell me. Tell me about this label. Is a slut anyone who enjoys sex? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all up to your own definition to say that this is uh, uh, someone who celebrates sex as, uh, as a path uh, with more than one partner, certainly, um, as sometimes an exploration or an adventure and, and in serious relationships, hence the ethical part. Um. We came up with the title for the book kind of as by accident. When we were writing it, our friends would say, what are you guys writing now? And I would say, The Ethical Slut. And our friends all knew, all being sluts themselves, knew perfectly well what that would mean, even before it became a word, an expression that other people knew and had learned. Um, when it came time to title the book, we thought about, you know, polyamory for the new millennium and, you know, those kind of respectable titles and we had been calling it the ethical slut for a really long time and people who want to read that book this book look at that title and they're drawn to it it's like oh yeah i like that and so it gives people a really good idea about what they're going to find inside the book which is a a love of celebrating sex and a tremendous respect for the ethics involved and uh and an openness that I hope people enjoy in the book. I noticed reading your book that your idea of a slut is about a lot more than sort of penis vagina sex or vagina vagina or penis penis or whatever, you know. Um, you seem to have a really broad definition of sex. So 
What do you mean when you say sex? Well, in a, in a way, we're talking about any really intimate connection, any strong emotional connection, uh, but that can include certainly the erotic, erotic energy. I mean, it's hard to say what is sex. I teach Tantra. Eros is the animating force of the cosmos in my book. And, uh, and so sex is everything. It's the life force. But between human beings, I think it's that celebration of the life force. And the intense intimacy that goes with it. Celebration of the life force? <laughs> Can you say that in different words? Yeah, it's a little abstract and it's almost beyond our scope here. Uh, but I think that a lot of other people who have discovered the possibilities of exploring sex. See, we live in a culture that has a lot of messages that say sex is only okay if. It's only okay when. It's only, it has to be kept in some very limited boundary. Keep it in a little box or heaven knows what might happen. So it's only okay if you've known the person for three years or you share a checking account or something, you know. Um, and when I looked at, I started expanding my life and saying sex is something wonderful to explore and it's, it's, it's a lovely, loving thing to share with somebody else and a wonderful way to get connected to people in a variety of different ways, um, my whole world kind of expanded. And the possibilities of what intimacy might be, not intimacy like you and me agree that we're going to form a tight little island where we can be intimate and nobody else will ever know, you know, or can ever know what we share. Um, it's the tight little island thing that I'm, I'm opposed to, I guess. Because what I've discovered is that when you open the door to a lot of different kinds of experiences, it really enriches your life. And yes, I do think there's a spiritual component to that. No, I disagree. I don't think this is beyond our scope. This is kind of at the heart of your teaching and at my teaching. There is a sacred, spiritual, sensual energy exchange at the heart of sex. And I think we should celebrate that. And I think your book celebrates that. In your book, you seem to suggest that we would do well to embrace openness and, and shamelessness. Right. I think a great deal of shame about sexuality has been enforced by all the rules about how terribly, terribly, terribly private it must be. Um, to the point where being affectionate with your spouse in public is called into question. Um, by, by many people. Uh, depends on who you're talking to, but there's a lot of limits that people have out there. They talk about public displays of affection, like that's a terrible thing. Um, I want to see a more affectionate world. I want to see a more loving world. I want to see a more connected world. Um, how you want to do that is kind of like uh, figuring out what fits for each person, because in order to make the, you know, to explore all the kinds of connections that you as an individual, that me as an individual, that I am capable of, um, you know, requires also being very aware of what limits and boundaries are wise and make sense and help make all this work. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think you're saying that what makes this ethical are the boundaries and guidelines that honor and perpetuate caring. Um, can you talk about, like, the rules for being an ethical slut? Well, the rules are very different for each person. And to me, I think it's been a sense of what is the uh, relational ecology of my life. If I had lots of sex but no affection, I would be an unhappy person and my life would be out of balance. It was very important to me that I started down this path when my daughter was newborn because I looked at how am I going to be 
it was partly my revelation in feminism to say, how am I going to find out who I am if I'm looking at myself as a whole person and not trying to sort of cut myself down to uh, a smaller image that I imagined was appropriate to a wife. Um, and remember, I was a teenager in the 50s, so I, that's a very small image to me. Um, but I didn't want my daughter to grow up in a world that was, you know, loveless or, or not connected or, you know, I didn't, and I didn't want the kind of um, life that refused connection that said, that was unwilling. I didn't want the like kind of life or the kind of sex that said that we want to withhold connection from each other. I want that to be connection and I want that to be uh, deep connection. Uh, as deep as any given relationship. Uh, I made up an aphorism in Slut that I'm very proud of. I, I always say that each relationship seeks its own level if you let it. Uh, that each relationship has a form in which the two of you fit together and you create something uh, that you can flow in for however long. But that is, it is indeed connected and intimate and is a, a mixing that enriches both of your lives. It seems to me that what you're suggesting could really bring up jealousy. And I want to talk about that. But before we do, this is a good moment to take a break. Uh, listeners, you're listening to Sex, Love, and Intimacy. I'm your host, Chip August. I'm talking to Dossie Easton, and uh, we're about to take a break. Please do listen to the messages on this break. These sponsors uh, support my being able to bring the show to you, and uh, they have lots of interesting information for you. Also, you might want to check on my episode page, personallifemedia.com, Sex, Love, and Intimacy where there are also some cool dollar off offers and discounts and all kinds of uh, things just because you are my listener. Um, and don't forget that uh, towards the end of the, the show, uh, Dossie will be offering you an exercise that you can try at home. But for now, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Listen to Sex, Tantra, and Kama Sutra, a weekly internet audio program from personallifemedia.com. Learn ancient secrets that turn on the soul of sex at personallifemedia.com. Sex, Love, and Intimacy. I'm talking to Dossie Easton. She's the co-author of The Ethical Slut, which is just out in a new expanded, updated edition, which is really terrific. Um, when we went to break, we were about to talk about jealousy. So um, let's go back to that. Uh, a lot of your message is about embracing sex wherever you find it. But if I love you and you love me and I don't know. I, I don't think I want you out there fucking around with other people, you know, like I, I it just feels kind of weird. So can you talk about that? Okay. So the big question is, why do you not want your partner fucking someone else? What is, what is the reason? Many people go, don't, you know, what are you brain dead? Everybody knows. Uh, but I don't think everybody does know. When I do workshops on jealousy, the first thing that becomes obvious to me, I often 
put this out to an audience and I say, what is jealousy for you? How do you experience jealousy? And I get dozens of different answers. This person uh, feels frightened. This person feels angry. This person fears abandonment. This person is in a, goes into a rage of territoriality. Uh, another person feels less than and feels like a worm and says, I'm not worth anything or I'm not desirable. I mean, we, it's very different for different people. For me, uh, one of the things I discovered when I was first experimenting with this was that my jealousy had a lot to do with massive insecurity. As a woman, I, I had been raised to believe that my security was always going to be contingent on basically my finding a high-status male partner. And, um, and I realized that I didn't have a way to find security that I owned and operated. And so going to work on building that for myself was a great healing journey. So this is the other thing I think jealousy is for each of us. First of all, there is no one emotion called jealousy. It's a whole bunch of different emotions. The thing that is sort of universal about jealousy is that we avoid owning it. What do you mean? Um, uh, we insist that it's not an internal response that we own or can change. We insist that we are helpless about jealousy, that we have no control over it, and that it is caused by our partner's actions. Yeah, like we're a victim of what they did. You made me jealous. Yes, exactly. So jealousy is most, is to me, I'm informed by the fact that what jealousy is about is projection. We run our fears on, on, on our, our lover and, and their lover's as if they were movie screens, right? And what happens when I work in therapy with jealousy, with couples and with individuals, is the challenge is always to say, how do you get back into ownership of these feelings? How do we look at this and say, well, this is a problem I could solve, or I could have some power to work on. Not just the power to insist that my partner not share pleasure with another person, but a positive power to say, oh, this is a place where I have some pretty deep wounding. Maybe maybe there's a path I could go on to change that. Okay, maybe there is a path to heal my wounding, but isn't jealousy just a normal mammal thing? I, I mean, if you've ever owned two pets, two dogs or two cats or two horses, you've seen them be jealous of each other competing for your attention. Isn't jealousy just wired into all mammals? Well, what you're talking about is jealousy that looks kind of like sibling rivalry. Yeah, exactly. Me, me, me. Pay attention to me. Yeah, we accept that if we have more than one child or more than one child in a room or more than one child in our schoolroom or whatever that they that they are going to have to learn to share attention and time well in a way this is what happens in relationships yeah exactly it's just another form of sharing in the same things that work to deal with sibling rivalry and the same things that don't work frankly are exactly apply to sexual jealousy it's not a different animal uh, we've just decided that it's too scary to look at. Well, we make it a different animal because it's about sex, and sex is private and separate, and it's its its own thing. Yeah, and scary. And to me, the, the reinforcing jealousy also reinforces a lot of fearfulness about sex that is completely unnecessary. And then this also supports the cultural paradigm of sex partners as being kind of owned by their partner or by their spouse. Yes, and as a woman and a feminist, I have a hard time with that because I don't want to be somebody's turf. Yeah, right. I, I'm not a I'm not a woman, but I am a fem feminist, and and I, I don't want to be owned either. 
That said, I'm sure there are listeners right now thinking, yeah, 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 but I'm jealous and I don't like it. What do I do? Uh, Maybe my partner's flirty or my partner wants to open the relationship. What can I do about my jealousy? Well, interestingly enough, the difference in... We are are celebrating right now a second edition of Ethical Slut that's just been published by a larger publisher. The book's been very successful. We're actually excited. If you Google Ethical Slut, you get an enormous amount of references, and I'm very proud of that. Uh, The... The new book has exercises in it. I took all the exercises I give to my therapy clients as homework exercises, or sometimes exercises we do in the room, and um, I wrote them up as exercises that people who read the book can do. And so there's exercises on communicating with your partner, on communicating with yourself, on how do you make agreements that make the world predictable enough, because I think people need a certain amount of predictability. People fear that you open the door and just anything might happen. And that is not this kind of agreements that most couples are comfortable with or that most individuals are comfortable with in their life. I want to know something about the future of, frankly, all of my relationships, not just one. I noticed you had a whole chapter on making and keeping agreements. Uh, and, And I noticed you made a distinction between making agreements and making rules. Yes. There are no rules. There is no right or wrong way to do this. We are entirely opposed to this notion of gold standard of relationship is just like this and you do just this and just that. And um, there is no one right way to do it. There's whatever fits for you, whatever fits for you and this particular partner, whatever fits for you and your life partner, which is a term I like better than primary relationship. But the person I share my life, my mortgage, child rearing, you know, all that other stuff way beyond sex with. Um, so I don't like using rules because we tend to get sort of legalistic. There are agreements that we make and the agreements, they may be fluid. We may find out that we need to change an agreement or update it because somebody has not managed to fit within it, right? Has stepped outside the agreement. People may disagree about agreements. Certainly I see a lot of couples who are very much in disagreement about some some agreement, and there are some agreements that are very, very important to respect. For instance, safer sex limits. Um, it is really not okay to bring home diseases, you know. And then it seems that you believe that when things come up that make us unhappy or that our, our agreements didn't anticipate, that it's just an invitation to rethink or evolve the agreements. Yeah, absolutely. And continually negotiate them. And There's also kind of a learning curve to this. The agreements that I make when I start out in an open relationship or that anyone might make have to be, you know, safe enough. They have to keep things with enough limits that that a person trying to open a relationship isn't simply going to be constantly freaking out. You can't learn to to swim by jumping in the ocean in the middle of a big storm. Um, You need to start by kind of defining the pool. And look at that as kind of a learning curve. So the agreements you devise for today or for this month are not necessarily going to be the agreements that fit in three months or six months. Hopefully, with experience, as we work with opening up, we can um, be less afraid and be more able to handle more openness. So our agreements may expand as we move on down the road, as we move on down the path, and we develop what are really skills. We learn the skills of how to take care of ourselves, how to take care of our partners. What do you do when you go to lunch with your partner's new lover? (laughs) Go to lunch with your partner's lover. I can almost hear some listeners intake of breath. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I want to talk more about that, but it's a great moment to pause for a break. Listeners, you're listening to Sex, Love, and Intimacy. I'm your host, Chip August. We're talking to Dossie Easton, the co-author of The Ethical Slut. Um, I want to remind you that after this break, uh, Dossie has an exercise that you can try at home. Also, I want you to know that if you hear something on the show that you really like or moves you or you find is profound, we make a transcript of almost every show on, uh, on the Personal Life Media Network. So you can just go to the episode pages, personallifemedia.com, sex, love, and intimacy. Find the transcript for this particular show, Dossie Easton. And uh, maybe you cut and paste uh, some line about jealousy or something that Dossie just said about agreements and you know, put it up on your computer or something or, or mail it to your lover or send it to a friend. And uh, while we're at it, uh, it'd be great if you actually sent the link to the interview to friends. Uh, one of the ways the show grows is by your support and by your telling friends. So please spread the word. Help us grow the show. Um, right now, pay attention to our sponsors and we'll be right back. Listen to Just for Women, Dating, Relationships, and Sex, a weekly internet audio program from personallifemedia.com. Fresh inspiration and expanded relationship options for today's woman. Welcome back to Sex, Love, and Intimacy. I'm your host, Chip August. I'm talking to Dossie Easton, co-author of The Ethical Slut, just out in a new, updated, and expanded second edition. Uh, Dossie, I noticed you subtitled the book A Practical Guide to Polyamory, Open Relationships, and Other Adventures. What what does that word polyamory mean? What do you mean by polyamory? Well, the question not only is what isn't what I mean, it's what other people mean, unfortunately. There's a lot of different definitions of polyamory, and there's people out there who have sort of a typography. This is polyamory. That's non-monogamy, uh, blah, blah. And I'm looking for, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm looking for an open sort of field of exploring what fits for me. Polyamory was originally coined to mean something that looks kind of like group marriage or long-term committed relationships with more than one person and doesn't include um, things like, oh, sort of tribes of loosely connected people or um, somebody that you might date um, and while you are partnered with someone else or that kind of thing or the fact that you might be dating, might be single and dating a half a dozen people. Uh, so to me, the reason I use ethical slut and I use sluttery is kind of a joke, but also to try to make some terminology that can't be made into a box that doesn't define the territory too narrowly. Polyamory means loving many. And in that sense, I agree with it. And it's come into common use to mean any conscious out in the open, um, non-monogamous lifestyle. And the out in the open part is the real difference. I think people have been cheating for a really long time. Um, so when we're doing this out in the open, um, 
we're looking at including everyone. You know, it interests me that uh, human history is just filled with stories of how we're not really monogamists. And, uh, and yet I notice that we keep making rules that say we should be monogamous and that we should feel bad if we have a lover and a spouse, or we should feel bad if we get married three or four times. I think what you stand for is not feeling bad about sexual wants, about our sexual wants and desires and behaviors. Why wouldn't you have lunch with your lover's lover? When I was first doing this back in 1969, we had a household of three single mothers called Liberated Ladies at Large. And uh, we would have brunches where we invited all of our lovers. And because there were three of us, um, people would come to visit and they had no idea who they were talking to, if they had a lover in common or not. And it sort of opened people up. We had these lovely lunches. There were babies crawling all over the place. All our friends came. And many of them made friends with each other. At that time in my life, one of my lovers came over one night and said, you three never get to go out and just socialize and, you know, go to clubs and have fun with all three of you because somebody always has to stay home with the kids. So tonight I'm going to be, I'm going to stay home with the kids and you guys go out and play. And it was just very sweet, the kinds of things that would happen in that environment. And a lot of very uh, um, communal energy and child rearing as well. Yeah, so so you get children raised by a village, not just a person or a couple. Absolutely, absolutely. If people wanted to get in touch with you or find your book, how, how would they find you? Okay, well, to get in touch with me, I have a website, dossieeaston.com. It's mostly focused on my therapy practice and the kind of work I do. Um, I actually have a, a very um, wide background because I've been doing this work for a very long time. And my other specialty is working with survivors of trauma or child abuse or serious illness. Um, and so I do a lot of work around uh, around that as well. And on my website, you can also find my email, my contact information, my phone number, and so on. Uh, the book is available through most online resources and in many, many bookstores. Um Ask your local, if you order it at your local bookstore, it's good for us because then the bookstores get to know the book and maybe they order some more copies and put it on their shelf and more people find out about it. But you can also order it online and um, many people order it for their entire families and wind up ordering a dozen copies. What a great idea. Uh, As we wind up our time together, I I always like my guests to suggest an exercise that my listeners can try at home to improve the sex, love, and intimacy in their lives. Do do you have an exercise to suggest today? Yeah, very simple one. Very simple and very powerful. I do this with my clients all the time, and when I do it in my office, I'm always amazed at the emotional power of it. It's very simple. You take a piece of paper and a pencil, and you write 10 reasons why I am lucky to have my partner. Or this particular partner, if you, if you have more than one partner. Ten reasons why I'm lucky to be in relationship with this particular individual. Um, sometimes partners do that together and they each make a list and then they share their lists. And that feels sort of like Christmas. What a lovely gift. Um, and another thing that you can do with that is just focus on what a treasure your partner is. You're in this relationship. When we get in long-term relationships, we tend to be very focused on what the problems are. Struggle, struggle, struggle. And so it's a time to reflect on what am I doing here in the first place? Well, this is a treasure to me because because my partner is wonderful, has a great sense of humor. We love, it was great when we put the new roof on the house, whatever, right? Fabulous lovemaking, whatever it is. Uh, But why am I lucky to have the partner that I have? What a lovely exercise. As we all know, when you focus your attention on something, it tends to grow. 
Uh, you know, in the book, you recommend carrying around the list and uh, carry it with you for a few days and adding to it. Absolutely. And a companion exercise, by the way, is to make a list of why your partner is lucky to have you as a partner. Um, and this this is a, one, a wonderful thing to carry around as well and to share with your partner. Because to say, yeah, my partner is with me because I am valuable. Listeners, I really encourage you to do this. Really do this. And, and perhaps you might want to actually share what you wrote with your lover. Read it to them. Dossie, thanks for making the time to be here on the show. Um, do you have any final thoughts today? Yeah, I think I want to end with one more notion about love, which is that love is something that that flows. And there's a lot of it. We just have to focus on it. I think I like the why I'm lucky to have my partner, because it focuses on the love we share. We are capable of sharing an immense amount of love. We are capable of opening our hearts in a whole bunch of really wonderful ways. And this is what I would really like to see is, I mean, here I am, this old love hippie, right? But to see our our opening up the flow of love in the world. Yeah, it's the fundamental force in the universe. Well, Dossie, thanks for joining me today. And thank you listeners also for joining me. This is bringing us to the end of another episode of Sex, Love and Intimacy. Uh, if you have comments or criticisms or you want to suggest uh, guests, uh, Dossie's here at the suggestion of one of my listeners, um, please send me a line, uh, chip at personallifemedia.com. I always like to hear from my listeners. Um, and as I say, I'm grateful for you listening in. Thank you for joining me and I hope you'll join me again next time. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.